0: Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. I'm your host, Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity, and in the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you'd like to contribute to this sponsorship fund and this podcast, please join our patron community today. It's really easy, and it starts at a dollar a month. That's only about 25 cents per podcast episode. Go to patreon.com forward slash renew the arts to learn more. Recently, Justice and I were able to connect with Michael Wright over the phone to discuss how Christians can interact with the arts community outside of churches, why that's important, and what art has to say about all of life. Michael Wright is not firstly an artist, but a curator of the arts. He works often behind the scenes to select and promote works of art he thinks are important. For many people just awakening to the importance of the arts, Michael's insights and signposts are quite helpful. He has become the kind of person who gently leads others into greater appreciation for good things. And in this way, he shows how the gospel invites us into more than a way of thinking. It leads us into a way of
1: life. Michael Wright, how are you doing? doing good. So we got Michael Wright and Michael Minkoff on the phone. Everyone knows Michael Minkoff at this point, um, but Michael Wright is a fascinating guy that we had a chance to talk to, um, touch, well, touch base uh, with a, about a week ago or so, but he is—he works with the Brim Center for Worship, Theology, and the Arts to develop curriculum on Fuller Seminary's new online learning platform. And he's also the art and religion editor for Marginalia and writes a weekly newsletter called Still Life. And um, Still Life is a wonderful publication, and they're they're pretty short. How long do you keep it to, like, about two pages or less? Uh, I definitely just try and keep it to a couple hundred
2: words. I'm just trying to do little bite-sized reflections every week.
1: It's really refreshing because a lot of times when you get into um, newsletters or, or publications on the arts, it, it gets really long really quickly um and so it's yeah. nice to have more bite-sized uh things to to see on a regular basis and you you break it up you have a poem and what else
2: yeah i usually do so like a uh, visual art sculpture uh some kind of short reflection a poem and then four links so the, the, the idea is to kind of curate material that all kind of speak to one another. So, you know, if I go to a gallery and see some show I'm writing about, I want to make sure the art that choose is in dialogue with that and a poem that kind of reflects on the themes that maybe the painting looks at and then links for more information. So it's kind of like a, a habit of curation.
1: Absolutely. And can you explain what you do with the Brim Center on that curriculum and stuff and what you're up to there? Yeah, sure.
2: So I am. Working at Fuller Seminary on a new online learning platform. And my main client, my main um, people I'm working with, content experts, are all of the people involved at the Brim Center for Worship, Theology, and the Arts. So we're basically looking like, how do we translate the uh, experience of being a part of Brim Center in person as a student uh, into very accessible online learning experiences for people in their own context who may not necessarily want to get a master's degree or a PhD in theology and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So we're trying to translate the research of our worship theology and arts faculty into kind of bite-sized, very accessible learning experiences. One that I really enjoyed doing was uh, working with some friends on their theology and popular music immersion course so that they took a bunch of students to go to South by Southwest and did like a week long class. And then all of that material kind of worked with them to put that onto the platform and, um, make it available to people interested in, in their own context.
1: Wow. Yeah. That sounds really great. And and that was theology and popular music. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain that, uh, the vision behind that a little bit? Um, the
2: division behind
1: theology. Not the division, sorry. The vision behind theology plus popular music. Like what's what's the aim at that kind of a study?
2: Well, one of the things, and I can send you a link to this video afterwards. We did like a little mm-hmm. short documentary, a pastor who joined the student group. One of the things I really enjoyed about that particular resource is a focus on, um, uh, immersing ourselves in the meaning making that happens within music beyond the boundaries of just the church context Mm. so rather than think okay i've got my theology i'm coming into the south by southwest how can i change what i hear uh how can i you know twist it into something else to fit with inside the church building for my congregation how can i you know guide these musicians towards some more um some deeper theological clarity or whatever it's the opposite so rather than seeing yourself as the host we see ourselves as the guest and Mm. then the question is more what what might god be doing in this music right now even though maybe on the surface uh it may not have christian language you know but what are the values in it and how why are people finding meaning in it and what rituals in live music facilitate a deeply emotional experience um, akin to something you might find inside a congregation. So it's kind of asking more open-ended questions and trying to put ourselves in a posture of curiosity rather than trying to do some kind of theological importation. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, which the theological importation can become rather dangerous because you're carting something into the church, even if you're doing it critically you don't necessarily understand even what you're bringing into the church but if something is allowed to exist as it is and given some degree of freedom and some degree of open-mindedness concerning what it actually is rather than trying to uh, appropriate it um, mm-hmm. in some ways it protects the church um it's again there's a protection of the church that's going on because you're you're going outside the walls of the church and trying to understand and, uh, empathize with people, uh, wherever they might be. Um, I think that there's a lot of usefulness to that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's reminding me of um, a, a couple of years ago, I, I asked friends on Facebook, what are your, what are your accidental hymns? Like what are the songs that, uh, burrow down deep in your soul and become prayerful for you, even though it may not be a part of contemporary Christian music or worship music or whatever. And the list was really great, and I started pulling together some of those songs onto a Spotify playlist. and there are these um, gorgeous, soulful songs, and many of them don't necessarily match what we'd expect to see on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to knock one or the other. It's just a kind of a habit of looking in new places for spiritual sustenance, you know.
1: It reminds me of Paul quoting the, the contemporary poet at Mars Hill mm. and um, using that as a context for sharing the gospel through, a, might you call it popular music at the time, or at least the form that it took at the time, uh, back to them to make a theological or, even, you know, a, a Christian point, a theological point to them. Um, yeah, I think that that's really fascinating how, how that can happen. And even did happen biblically.
3: Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I, that example reminds me of Peter. You know, when he sees a vision of this large sheet in the heavens being let down to earth on the, by its corners, right? Um, and God is saying, "Hey, like this, this world is much larger than what you're expecting. Like where, where you have the boundaries for clean and unclean, I'm like, come this way." <laughs> It's actually mm-hmm. there's much more truth beyond those boundaries you've drawn. And you see that in the gospels too, that Christ is constantly reaching towards people who are marginalized by the religious and social structures of his day.
3: Mm-hmm. So what you
2: know, I can't think of someone who's often more marginalized by churches than
0: artists. You know? We've so. certainly found that to be the case. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Which actually kinda uh, touches on how we got connected in the first place, which is something I wanted to to share a little bit, or just talk about, because you had written, I believe, one of the still life letters, and mm-hmm. was reaching out for people to continue that conversation on him. What was the thrust of that, and how did that get us connected? Yeah. Oh man. So,
2: I met a new friend um, outside, a new artist friend. We were in Fuller, Fuller Seminary's campus, and it was outside of a conference that was happening on the arts. And she is a contemporary artist, and we've been in in conversations since then, too. And she seemed forlorn, kind of sitting on a bench in the middle of campus. And I'm like, this is odd. Like, you're one of the premier artists at this conference. The conference is happening inside, and you're outside. You look like you're not a part of it. What's going on? So I talked to her, Mm -hmm. and she was saying that she was really struggling to find a a way to fit in, Um, which really was a red flag for me and kind of an image of something that's happening, I I think, on a much larger scale. She is a contemporary artist. Her work has very little religious subject matter, and it doesn't fit in the liturgical context on Sunday morning. And that was one of the primary focuses of this conference. So,
1: talking with her... You're saying the focus... I'm sorry, you're saying the focus was liturgical visual art? The focus was on worship. The focus was on how do I translate
2: Renaissance paintings into paintings that uh, perpetuate religious subject matter that fits for my devotional needs? Mm. And she, this artist is working in New York city among mostly atheists and lesbians and people who are self-proclaimed witches. And, you know, um, that's not the same context. It's not the same work. It's not the same processes. And so she's kind of, she's, she told me that she feels eclipsed by both communities.
3: Mm. And that's
2: what I was writing in that letter, that she feels eclipsed by the faith and art community and eclipsed by the contemporary art community. Mm. Um, and so that that moment really brought it into focus for me that the whole faith and art conversation is affecting real people. And if we don't expand the boundaries of that conversation, it, it will continue to chronically harm the very people uh, that we would want to be supporting. Mm hmm. Right. Uh, so, and so I, I talked with her and I wrote about it. And then on Twitter, I just reached out like, okay, I'm feeling kind of fiery. Who wants to be on the podcast? I need to <laughs> talk to people about
0: this. <laughs> yeah. And that's and I was like, exactly. Fiery? I was like, let's get them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're here for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we prefer them.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, we reached out, Michael reached out and like right on our homepage, we have kind of An introductory video to our heart and our passion and our vision, which is, we call it the Meet Micah video, which basically exactly describes that kind of person uh, word for word. It's like you have Micah, he's a Christian and he's an artist, but he doesn't want to be known as a Christian artist because if you're a Christian artist, that means that you fall into certain boxes that you're not allowed to operate outside of. Right And so he feels like he's stuck between two worlds, so it's not exactly eclipse, but same idea where it's like you have the church over here where they um you know they they don't seem to understand the value of the art that you make unless it's falling within these certain boxes or for a certain contexts, so you can have more liberty if you go outside the church to create, but there's you're still eclipsed there because there's not the um it's not the acceptance of someone who is on your team all the time. It's just the acceptance of a kind of live and let live. Yeah, we'll, we'll let mm-hmm. you you know uh, display alongside us. But, but wouldn't, don't you want both? Don't you want someone right. to understand and value your calling and your passion and also um, be supporting you spiritually and, and be on, uh, I don't know if I wanna say on your team, but uh, be on the same page as you. And so, yeah, you have these people that are stuck between two worlds. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it really seems like the first step is to just um, w- try and promote a little more clarity uh, about what we're talking about. Cause it's really not either or like I, I am really drawn to iconography and that is deeply liturgical. That is for worship inside church buildings. Right. But you know, I'm, also really drawn to a really interesting gallery show happening out here in LA that would never fit inside of a, uh, a church context, but has deeply spiritual themes. So we just kind of need to, to cultivate some clarity around this whole conversation, which I'm. is why I'm glad to have met you guys, because I, I love that idea of cultivating that space and, and liberating the imagination, liberating creativity, um, I think it's great. I really like what you
0: guys are doing. We've talked a little bit about the institutional barriers that they are both within the the quote unquote secular environment and the sacred environment. Um, Some of those barriers are obviously valuable and there's there's a gatekeeping uh, purpose to some of those barriers that's actually good and helpful. Um, That Mm -hmm. cuts down on some of the trash because there's a lot of stuff out there that nobody cares about for good reason and uh, Maybe I don't know Uh, (laughs) And so but there's got to be some kind of a standard making or you just end up with the deluge of the internet Which is impossible to navigate. Um, It's just too large. And so um, Can you can you talk about maybe some practical steps that you might take in order to bridge some of those institutional barriers while still maintaining their useful protections? You you know what I'm saying? Like, are there there short-term practical steps that can be taken by individuals, whether they're artists or consumers, in order to make progress in what seems like a really problematic um, uh, barrier in both of those arenas? You
2: know, um, the first thing that comes to mind is just, we need to really begin to re- recognize that when we talk about the arts, we're talking about people and institutions, like before we can even have kind of, um, you know, practical steps for engaging this conversation, we have to remember that it exists beyond the scope of just religious subject matter. Um, religious subject matter in a painting is like, that's useful. That's good. That's a, that can be a kind of devotion. Like, I remember seeing uh, a Gospel Coalition uh, list of, like, 18 paintings every Christian should know about. That's yeah. really—that that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And—but it's not a good thing if that's where you stop. Because then we miss out on understanding that there's an entire art world beyond the scope of uh, church communities— and art, artist communities that are beyond the scope of just a church community. So really, I think, as far as practical steps, I think I, m- I remember telling you guys, I, if, if you wanting to read something, take a break from theology and read a book like Seven Days in the Art World, uh, where you can actually l- get a glimpse of what the contemporary global art world is like, or take a break from looking at uh, different Paintings that are based on the Gospels and read a book like Art and Fear, which gives you a glimpse into the uh, the risky and courageous choices that an artist has to make as they pursue creative work on, in their inner life. So those are the kinds of things that we just kind of need to reframe uh, and maybe find new doorways into this conversation. You know, if if there's a church, if there's like a pastor listening to this podcast right now. And they're like, oh, I'm, I don't know where to start. I'm really stressed. I I don't know a lot about art. I feel intimidated or frustrated. Or, you know, we had an arts program, but it fell apart. What do we do? Well, you know, maybe the next step is just to go visit the local museum and mm. get in conversation with people who work at the museum. Maybe there's someone in the congregation who works at the museum. What, how, what would they want uh, a vision for the arts to look like for your particular church? So it's really mm-hmm. just kind of reframing the way you approach the whole conversation to focus on the people who are involved in the production of art and the institutions outside of churches that are involved in the cultivation of it. Mm-hmm.
0: And the expectation and that, of what you've said is that it's likely that the church has a greater responsibility to reach out to the world. I mean, the, the world is probably not going to reach out to the church concerning these things, especially not right now, and, nor should we expect that.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I it, think we're, well, oh, go ahead. Well, it just sounds like there might, in my mind, what it keeps sounding like is that there needs to be a little bit of humility.
3: Uh, hmm.
1: I think that, I think that, that might be one of the maybe a crux issue here because the, the alternative to what you're saying, which is to approach other institutions and to approach other people and see what, what's going on there first, like understand what their perspective and is understand what they're doing um instead of just kind of bursting onto the scene and saying uh we're going to take this over or we're going to do this better or or we're going to gospelify uh what's right. already going on um as with any like mission field or or um relationship like be quiet listen you know right. be humble gain some right. perspective uh is that kind of part of what you're getting at
2: yeah and it's not humility in the sense of like Oh, I, I need to feel ashamed, or I, I need to feel bad. That it's it's humility and curiosity. I see those as as two sides of the same coin. You know, humility is seeing clearly because we have our feet on the ground, and curiosity is this active searching for new experiences and being open to what happens. Like I think of um, uh, Sister Wendy Beckett, who's a really a deep inspiration to me, and she traveled around the world um, doing a BBC series on
1: yes. the yeah, arts. I've seen those. They're great. They're, They're so amazing. fun. It's yeah. all on YouTube. You know, you don't yeah. have to
2: invest any money. Just take some time and watch the 10 videos of the story of painting, and you are watching this beautiful soul engage the arts. So she's bringing her faith. It's so obviously a part of the conversation, but she's taking delight in art for its own sake.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. You know what we should do is add that YouTube series to our suggested um resources page. Yeah, on yeah. our website. That'd be great. It's a fantastic series and she is a real sweetheart and and her her analysis is incredible. It's impeccable.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh so yeah, I yeah, I completely agree. And I and I and yeah, curiosity does come with humility because you expect to learn something instead mm. of expecting to only teach.
3: Mm.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Wow, that's yeah, that's that's really good. I would like to see more of that. I And I think that there's, uh, there's a big space for that right now uh, within the church that's currently... I don't know. I mean, maybe a, a lot of people in the church feel like we have the answers and our job is to give other people the answers. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Jesus is I don't think anybody in the history of mankind has ever had more answers than Jesus. Mm-hmm. But recognizing what was good for his listener he asked more questions he asked a lot of questions and i don't think his questions were you know purely socratic i don't think he was coming in being like let me help you get to where i am i think oftentimes Mm. his questions were truly seeking and searching wanting to know Mm. um another Mm. person uh and i i think as a human being the first thing that we can do in in the gospel is actually hear where other people are like right. that the gospel doesn't really mean something generically it means something specifically like every one of us was saved from a specific situation or a specific set of sins or a you know a specific circumstance of life it's not a generic gospel that i received <laughs> It was a specific right. one. And Which so, is why
1: Jesus could basically be asked multiple times, what must, must must I do to be saved? And he gives different answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for, for my Western mind, it's like, hang on, there's one right answer. So, why is he jumping around and like mm-hmm. keying in what mm-hmm. particular people might need to hear in the particular moment? That feels awfully... Um, you know subjective right um you know there's one definition of the gospel Mm -hmm. and it's in john macarthur's study bible you know what (laughs) i
2: mean (laughs) oh i had no idea we need to all go by that and then we've resolved this problem and we can move on
1: yeah i want to take a break here and thank our sponsors the john macarthur study (laughs) really (laughs) great no i'm just kidding oh no
0: um No, but really, I am going to interrupt. I just want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. Without your help, we literally couldn't afford to keep doing this. I want to offer a special thanks to our newest supporters, Garrett Godfrey, Kayla B. Freeman, and Luke Lillard. Thank you all so much for your support. If you'd like to contribute to this podcast and this movement, please join our patron community today at patreon.com forward slash renew the arts.
1: Uh, No, but you know, so I think that that is actually one of the huge strengths of the arts is that humility and curiosity and space for truth minus dogma. Mm. Um, And it's not to say that all dogma is (laughs) bad. If you have, you know, (laughs) anyone who knows me knows that I I don't have a, a huge problem with dogma. At the same time, there are scenarios where being purely dogmatic is just really not helpful. And I think that the arts is a fantastic place for um, seeking the in-between. It's like the seeking of the truth because you make something, it's like, here I am, uh, this is where I'm at, and this is, these are the things I'm struggling with. And I think that that's why it can be such a great in-between space in a good way, in a healthy way, between the church and the world because um, you're, not trying, you're not necessarily trying to prove something. Um and you're you're exploring something and that can be very hospitable. That can be very inviting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it makes me think of uh Leonard Cohen who said, God bless the continuous stutter of the word being made into flesh.
1: Mm. That's right.
2: And I, I love that line and it and I I think of that line whenever I'm going to a a gallery show or a museum show and I see a painting, you know, filled with lush colors that celebrate the sensual experience of being alive, I think of that line from Cohen because it's, there's nothing, there may not be anything explicitly Christian about um, the work itself or even in the, the text that accompanies it, but it's so obviously resonant with the kind of life that we would hope being a Christian is. Right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one where a deep celebration of of life itself. You know, E. E. Cummings, I thank you, God, for most of this amazing day. It's this gorgeous prayer. Uh, why are we not reciting that prayer in church on Sundays? Mm-hmm. Um, Can
1: you actually say that quote again? Because I know that if I were listening to a podcast, I'd probably have rewound it <laughs> to hear it again. Can you c- c- quote that again?
2: Sure. Uh, the Leonard Cohen. Yeah. So that he just he says this line: um, "God bless the continuous stutter of the word being made into flesh."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right on. I really like that.
0: Yeah. So I guess then the corollary to humility, because humility is a, a, a stance, or I, I don't, I don't even want to call it a posture because it, that sounds disingenuous, but it is a heart posture. Um, in the same way that kneeling is a body posture and i think gratitude is another posture of the heart that uh you're kind of touching on with the with this bit from E. e. cummings um and really just the appreciation of the beauty and the variety of all the dappled things of all the world god made those things and it is revealing his character And those of us who know him should receive those things with gratitude and joy. And it takes skill and time and experience to be able to receive those things. And I think, I mean, just if you have children, you know this to be the case. A child has very untrained tastes at first, and those tastes develop and they are corollaries of both their cultural upbringing and their personal sense of identity, and those things uh, have their course in the the midst of their lives, it's helpful to have somebody who knows how to appreciate things Mm -hmm. tell you and help you along in the appreciation of those things. It's like, did did you notice the joy that was available to you in the world that you're constantly taking in, you know? Like, what a joyless life we would have without gratitude and without trained gratitude, uh, which I think mm. art appreciation really is the training of gratitude. Um, mm. So mm. I, I really, I love those, those two aspects of this humility and gratitude, which really does fit very closely to the way we're supposed to be as human beings before God and others.
4: That's a great line, art
2: appreciation is the training of gratitude. Yeah, it, it makes me think of this, uh, this, what you're saying reminds me of this poem by Gwendolyn Brooks, I'd, I'd love to share it with you, um, it's just called Art, mm. and she says this, Art can survive the last bugle, of the last bureaucrat, can survive the inarticulate choirs of maketeers, the stolid and stately places, all flabby gallantries, all that will fail. Lending our strength to keep art breathing, we doubly extend, refine, we clarify, leading ourselves, the halt and the harried, through the icy carols and bayonets of this hour, the divisions, vanities, the bent flowers of this hour. We hail what heals and sponsors and restores.
0: That's good.
2: I love that whole thing and <laughs> that whole poem to me <laughs> feels like a mission statement for what I would hope the faith and arts conversation could be in the future and is now and could continue to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's looking for art that helps us survive the chaos that we live through, uh, the the harried and the bayonets of the public conversation that's happening around us all the time, the divisions. We still, we look for, we hail what heals and sponsors and restores. And when we do that, we, I think one of the natural results is that kind of developing uh, posture or a uh, habit of humility and gratitude. Not in the sense of like, those are virtues that we build like muscles that we have to force ourselves to do, but just, they're just habits of seeing the world because we love, we learn to love what we see and we learn that there's so much more, that we can experience beyond what of our, our day to day life is. Mm -hmm. And so we have that humility and that desire to put ourselves in places where we're learning new things and experiencing new things. And, um, yeah, I think, I think the arts are just such a, it's not like some external thing. They're like, Oh, let's get the arts involved in our our church or whatever. Right. Right. uh, Art is a deeply human language that we are either speaking well or we are not speaking well. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's outside of us that we can choose to move around, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's why one of the things that we discussed when we first touched base was art appreciation as a spiritual discipline. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, I I think that that's a great way of understanding how this isn't, like you're saying, a tertiary issue. It's not something you just plug in plug into other church programs or something like that, it's, it's, um, it's being able to speak, like you said, a deeply human or spiritual language um, mm-hmm. and receive speaking on that type of language. I mean, it's fascinating how closely creative communication is woven throughout all of Judeo-Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, even the Bible, and we've talked about this so many times, but how much of the Bible is creative literature? It's not a a big tome of laws and and rules or or even just lectures or theology. Far from it. Yeah, it's not a yeah, it's not a theology textbook. Right. And um, it's so much more than that. And you have to ask, well, why? Why
3: mm-hmm. God
1: would you, when you decided to leave only a certain number of pages for us, uh, even all of Jesus's miracles and works and and uh, They're not recorded. It says that in the New Testament. But you still Mm -hmm. carve out enough space for the Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Why? Why was that of more priority than the stories of Jesus that they said were left out because they would fill the whole earth? Hmm. You know what I mean? And and, Hmm. it's because it is not tertiary. It's a fundamental Mm -hmm. way that we understand the truth. Fundamental. And that's why the Bible is... Um, to such a great extent, leaning into that type of language.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very easy for the, the very next step to be like, oh, okay, so that means we're supposed to all be artists. And, oh, I'm not an artist, therefore I can't engage this conversation. Which is why we were talking about art appreciation as a spiritual discipline. You know, everyone appreciates art to some extent or another. If you go to a movie theater, you are an art appreciator. Mm-hmm. right? Um, we, You know, if you get dressed if you make choices about what you're wearing in the morning and those choices Mm -hmm. are aesthetic choices like i like the way this looks with this you are an art appreciator
1: yeah Um, you're a curator That's actually something i was just talking to michael about which is oh man this is great uh i i think a better way because we talk about trying to be discerning with art and that's that that can feel kind of stodgy to convince someone like listen, you should be discerning in arts and culture. I don't know. That feels very, um, I don't know, up, nose upturned critical or something like that. But right. I think a better way is to say um, curate yourself. Hmm. Curate yourself. Like Make sure that the, the art and the images and the sounds and the things that you let into your heart, that you hang on the walls of your heart and mind are good. Because if you don't actively curate, then other people will be making those decisions for you. Because like you're saying, you do engage in arts and culture all the time, right. you know, with what you turn on, what you listen to, what you wear, what you look at. It's constant, especially in a digital age. Uh, American adults consume more than 10 and a half hours of media on a daily basis. You have to curate that or else you're just at the mercy of other people making those curating decisions for you. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and, and to um, take that curation uh, a step deeper, you know, it, that content, that, that art, that film, that music, that painting, that, that, that JPEG of some painting I see or whatever that came from somewhere that was created by that. There's human production in, in that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so easy because every, because everything is so accessible online. Now it's very easy for us to, forget the 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 human blood sweat and tears that goes into this kind of work that then we uh, consume on a regular basis through all of our different media devices and Mm. so how do we take you know if we're doing curation and we're like hmm i'm really not seeing uh I, i can't seem to find like really like worship music that is beautifully written in a poetic way that i can still worship with and okay, well, what, let's find those people who are making that and let's mm-hmm. support them, you know? Yeah. Or, man, like, I really love visual art and I, and I really love abstract visual art, but I can't, I, I don't know how to, to find, I, I can't seem to find art that uh, evokes some kind of spiritual resonance for me. Well, one, maybe we're not looking hard enough, but two, maybe we also need to be finding the artists who are doing that and support them. Right. It's like in contemporary art world right now, You have this kind of globalizing pressure. You have two things happening at once, like pulling towards these global galleries and uh, art fairs around the globe, around the world, and then uh, smaller artist run initiatives. And then the middle galleries are all kind of really struggling to stay afoot. So that means that people who are creating work today, who aren't creating work that reflects the values of the uber elite and uber wealthy and aren't being picked up by these global art fairs but are trying to grow beyond their small artist run initiatives have no, literally have no support. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and so how do we go to that, uh, that empty space and fill it with emotional and pastoral and financial support of artists doing work that reflects the values that we care about.
0: That's great. And that's, that's such a good important step is we we talk about this. We've talked about it for a long time, but Uh, The emphasis on local involvement and local engagement, I don't think can be overemphasized, because Mm -hmm. really it it maintains this necessity for personal engagement. I mean, I can't tell you Mm -hmm. how many pieces of work, honestly, I have disliked, or at least not even gotten, until I met the artist or had some knowledge of the artist's life and what brought out this particular piece of work or something. Right, um, right. I mean, it's helped me appreciate everybody, and, and as disparate as like Pollock and, and, and Picasso on one end, uh, to you know this Christian singer songwriter uh, on another end you know like that where it's right. like I heard these songs that you made and they sounded like this, or they sounded like that, and I had some connection in the in the art itself, and what you're saying about this disconnect that the internet and that digital distribution has created between the artist and the art is is pretty pretty big it's a pretty big chasm uh, to where we view art as a commodity. Rather than as a, as a personal expression of a human uh, being, and right. uh, one of the one of the things that we've even taken on in in our um, communication strategy, Justice and I and the rest of the people at Renew the Arts, is criticize something like you would if the person who made it was in the room hmm. and hmm. and I, I think that's a really important just kind of first step toward trying to to personalize again what has been depersonalized through our virtual online uh, engagement, which I mean, online engagement like on social media is sort of similar to, you know, road rage. It's like Mm. everybody's anonymous and and there's no threat or fear, like you would never speak to or act to somebody in person like you do online or like you do in a car. and this has affected everything, but I think it especially has left artists out in the cold, especially within the church, where it's like, if if you're producing a commodity we want to receive, then we'll receive it. That doesn't necessarily Mm. even mean that we will receive you, uh, or that we will support or endorse or, or engage with you or appreciate you. And if we were filling the world with grateful, humble appreciators of art, there's a huge, huge, huge number of people who would absolutely love that. I mean, money aside, just people who are going out into the world, going to museums and appreciating things with any degree of discernment, there's a huge number of artists who'd be like, thank you so much for caring, for reading, for watching, for listening, you know?
2: Yeah, I had a friend tell me once uh, that a an artist's studio is their cathedral. And, you know, I... I've started doing a few studio visits and I really want to do more because I'm right there with you. I I think the, um, the natural... Well, I, I wrote, okay, let me back up. I did a paper on this when I was in seminary. I did it on, we were talking about hermeneutics and how we interpret things. And I was looking at how do we interpret art. Uh, and I started reading all the stuff on phenomenology and a book called Real Presences and a few other things. But basically it was... I, I came to the conclusion that the best way, the best process for Christians to have within their engagement with art is to start with the art object itself and allow that to lead them into deeper and deeper relationship towards the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I saw a play that really affected me called wit. uh, And I tracked down as much information as possible and did some sleuthing and figured out a way to talk to the playwright and ended up talking to her on the phone for a while. And that experience of seeing my own life reflected in the main character of wit inspired me to continue that conversation by talking with the playwright and calling some of the actors who were on the stage. And, and it, it spilled out into relationship.
1: Mm. Absolutely. absolutely, and, and, that's, and that's why the value of the local right. artist is so great. I think right. one of the artists that has actually given me most value is my friend, I mean, very like one of my very closest and best friends, Jesse Murray. And um, I always marvel at how other people haven't jumped on the Jesse Murray bandwagon yet because his music is so amazing. But I've come to realize that although I do think he has a lot of potential to bring to a lot of people, um, one of the reasons that I feel this way toward him is because we've been so close for so long. And just in sharing geography and sharing community, the music that he writes is necessarily including what I care about because we've lived right. in close proximity with each other and, right. and you know what he's writing about is my life,
3: mm-hmm. you know?
1: Right. Uh, and so that brings, I mean, who else has a, it, i I'm so blessed to have Jesse in my life, but like who else has a soundtrack for the last 10 years of their life that they mm. can refer to and weep over and just be grateful for a recording of of the different you know, eras of their life and stages of their life and different things happening. I mean I, I go back through Jesse's catalog and there's music about us dating. There's music about, you know, um, each of us getting married and there's music about us going through doubt periods, you know, and, and mm. it's not even necessarily he's not writing it about me. He's writing right. it about himself, but I'm with him. And and that can happen. That can happen. It should be happening. I think that you know, even just having, if you actually had worship leaders (laughs) who Mm -hmm. were actually given a position of leadership, who are dedicated to their craft and who had vision and were talented, you would be able to have that kind of thing for a congregation of people where it's like we've been together every step of the way. Hmm. And I'm not here to write bland worship music for you, or, or not even write most of the time. I'm not here to cover. Bland worship music for you every week. I'm here to uh, make our community life manifested in a tangible, physical way that we can all experience together and hold with us as we grow older Um, so that we can look back and marvel at how the Lord's taking care of us. And there's no better way to codify human experience than through art. And that's obvious because anything that's left of old civilizations is art. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So
0: Let Shakespeare write your diary, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. And why not? Why not? Why wouldn't uh, you? So that would be, that's like, absolutely. Having a local artist who has vision and competency is one of the biggest blessings you can actually have as us. I mean, people are all talking about community and how to develop it. It's like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, one of the huge puzzle pieces to developing local community is to support local artists who can mm. actually form the identity and and transfer the identity of local community and and remember the identity of local community.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of, there's two whole, for people who are interested in that, think, man, like, I really want to, I want to start uh, supporting local artists too. I mean, you're describing creative placemaking. You're describing decolonizing worship. Those mm-hmm. are two um, examples of things that are happening parallel to one another in art world and church world right mm-hmm. so in art world creative placemaking is looking at how to cultivate communities with the local texture and people and materials just like you're describing like art that reflects a local community that's mm-hmm. creative placemaking um, or even some people are using language like social practice art although that's contested and then you have over on the other side you have um, people like um oh, what is her name? I think Sandra Von Opstall doing a book like Next Worship or she's talking about decolonizing worship where she's grieving this um, this problem of going around the globe, going to worship services and hearing the same songs by the same top 40 <laughs> worship artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happened to me and my wife too. We went to Mexico City recently and we were in an Uber and we heard this song. We, it was in Spanish. We're like, wait a minute. We don't really speak Spanish really, very well, but like I recognize this sound. Let's see if we, let's see if we can like Google the, the artist's name, and we did. And sure enough, evangelical worship pastor at a mega church in Mexico City. Oh,
3: interesting. And the sound was the, the exact same.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and that is just like so. So we need to, that goes back to this idea of like local localizing and, and focusing on the artists in your own community and trying to um, you know create work that then reflects the. The community around you, um, not just importing something that's popular or copying right. it.
1: You know. Right. And I think that probably sounds like a huge chore for a lot of people. It's like, oh man, invest in local artists. Like, oh boy. Uh, but there's, it's like, you don't have too much to invest and you have a whole lot to get return on. Like, you just have to find, you know, it's not, it shouldn't, Lord willing, it shouldn't be terribly hard to find a single local artist with craft and vision right. um, to to invest in and just engage with right. um, and, and in see what they need huge. see yeah. what they
2: need see what they want see what see what they're thinking about and longing for and see what conversations they're obsessed with and you know that goes back to the whole idea of curiosity and humility it's it's mm-hmm. not like descending onto little art worlds and um you know, trying to quote unquote minister to them. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, yes, it is a form of uh, ministry in its deepest level, but it's because we're just building relationships and 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 grieving with them that they feel outside the church. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been feeling. Not to do some new project, or to you know do my own podcast, or you know not to write a book, or to come up with some grand vision for. Uh, the arts for christian churches it's literally just to grieve with artists who don't know where to go and Mm. feel lost between these two worlds speaking two different dialects
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i wanted to talk about art and mental health because this is something we really discussed but we're running out of time so what we're going to do is we're gonna push that over into an extended conversation that'll that we'll post for our Patreon supporters. Um so for everyone else sucks to be you. Uh if you want to listen to these (laughs) extended conversations, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month and that's for real. Uh all extended podcast content is um yeah, goes out to our patrons and and extended content is available for for just a dollar a month. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this conversation and hop over to that one. Um, But thank you, Michael, and uh, I really hope everyone has enjoyed this conversation, and uh, we'll continue the conversation in just a minute.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for the invitation.
1: Absolutely. You're welcome.
0: We asked Michael Wright what song he would like to use to end this podcast episode, and he pointed us to a song Riverwide, Ben Block Remix by the artist Lolo Mears, actually the collaboration of two artists, both of whom are friends of Michael's, from Fuller Seminary. In fact, they've been friends for many years, Michael said. And this is what he had to say about this song. I love collaborations like this because my friends' passions and talent blend and make something beyond what either could do alone. And I really resonate with the baptismal imagery and the longing in Lauren's voice as she sings, There is a place for us. There's a sense of redemption here that's just out of reach, an ongoing struggle to receive a godly and hidden gift. So this is Riverwide, Bin Block Remix by Lolo Mears. You can hear more of their music at mateoandlow.squarespace.com and mattlumpkin.com.